All right, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to start reading at verse 11. Then I read down through the end of the chapter, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. I am become a fool in glory. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs, and wonders, and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edified. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, that I should be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. The title of the message this morning is Known by your disposition, known by your disposition. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Father, that you're concerned even by the details of our lives, even to our disposition or attitudes, so I pray, Father, to look into the Word of God this morning, that we allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts, to uh, encourage us and challenge us and convict us where we need convicted, to expose those things that are not pleasing in thy sight, that are damaging in our relationship with you and our relationships with others, in our ministry to others. So, Lord, just pray that you be glorified and honored. Have your will and way. We pray for your body to be edified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Known by your disposition. The word disposition means the predominant or prevailing tendency of one's spirit, natural, mental, and emotional outlook or mood or characteristic attitude. So think about that characteristic attitude, things that would describe your attitudes. You know, we find in the Bible a wide variety of personalities and dispositions. James and John were called 
the sons of thunder. In other words, they were quick-tempered. They wanted to destroy the Samaritans that wouldn't receive Jesus. and said, let's, let's just call down fire and destroy them heathens, you know. And Jesus said, you know not what manner you are of. That was James and John. Of course, you had Peter, who was prideful and quick to boast of what he did or would do. And Paul, who I believe was very determined and resolute in his plans and purposes. I mean, if, if, if you're going to change Paul's mind, you had a monumental task before you. I believe he's a very determined man. But despite all these different personalities and attitudes, all these men were greatly used of God. But an attitude can make or break a ministry, a relationship, or a home. You know, characteristics of attitudes are, you know, attitudes are a complex combination of things we call personality, beliefs, values, behaviors, motivations. Uh, you know, it can be favorable or very unfavorable, your attitudes or your disposition. And, you know, all people hold attitudes. They can be good or bad, bitter or sweet, critical or caring, compassionate. And an attitude exists in every person's mind, helps define our, define our identity, it guides our actions, it influences how we judge or uh, relate to people. And, you know, and those are internal to a person, and we can... We review, we can view a person's attitude from their resulting behavior. You know, some people are very positive and think the best of every situation. Others tend to be negative and always think the worst. They think the worst. Or, and, you know, so we, either way we can jump to conclusions and sometimes we can think evil of others by jumping to those conclusions. But when a person surrenders their life to the Lord, their disposition should begin to take on or resemble a Christ-like spirit. One of compassion, meekness, tenderness to those around them. You know, as Christians, our attitudes, our dispositions should be molded, should be affected by our relationship with the Lord and our trust and confidence in Him and His eternal and unchanging work. But as we think, consider the church here at Corinth this morning and consider ourselves today uh, as the Bible is relevant to any age, I want you to notice two things. I have two major points, and then I have, don't, don't get hopeful, that doesn't mean we're going to be done soon because I have a lot of sub-points. Uh, two major points, the disposition of the carnal and then the disposition of the spiritual, and then I have many sub-points under, under some of those headings. First of all, the disposition, I'm going to look at the negative first. The disposition of the carnal. In verse 20, Paul says, For I fear, lest when I come, I should not find you such as I would, and that I should find, shall be found unto you such as you would not. So in other words, I find you as you should not be. If that is so, you're going to find me in a situation or in a, in a, in a, in a manner in which you would not want me to be in, because I'm going to have to deal with this, is what he's saying. And then he says, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, 
backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. You know, we know that from studying the book of Corinthians, first to second Corinthians, there was many problems with the church at Corinth from the very beginning. Corinth, by even by society or culture, was considered an unruly and undisciplined city. With life li- lived to seek one's pleasure, to satisfy the unrestrained passions. That's what Corinth was about. In fact, they, if a man was uh, unrestrained or uncontrolled in his passions, they called him a Corinthian. That was a nickname given to him. Just live to please yourself. They say, you're Corinthian. You're Corinthian. It was a, it was a wealthy city. It was a, it was a port city. But, you know, many, much like many homes in our world today where children are allowed to do as they please. And they're unruly and they're undisciplined. And because parents are. You know, the reason children are undisciplined is because parents are undisciplined. And this creates a great obstacle in the life of a new believer to learn to bring their disposition, their, their attitudes, and their emotions into submission to the control of the Holy Spirit as he directs through the word of God. So at Corinth, you had these problems that were common. Sins of disposition. And sins of disposition can just be as damaging as moral, open moral sins. And destructive. As open moral sins. He says there was debates, contention, strife. One commentator said he calls it just common, ordinary fussing. Just always fussing about anything. Never satisfied. Never content. Always critical. Just fussing. Debates. Paul said there's envy. Jealousy. Contentious rivalry. Jealous of another's success or commendation. You know, they were, they were, had these factions among them. Who was better than the other? That's jealousy. Why was I not complimented? Why was I not thanked? Why am I not pranked? I, 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 I. You know what the middle of that is. Wrath. Anger. That's anger forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. So there's, so there's these, 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 uh, constant or consistent, uh, boiling over of anger and displays of wrath. Strife. A desire to put oneself forward. A partisan and factious spirit which is not a slave to slander or misjudge someone else to justify or promote themselves. Backbitings or whispering, whisperings, evil speaking, slandering. And, you know, slandering, is, again, is a malicious false report. It's an unjust, untrue accusation meant to hurt. Saul slandered David and saying David was out to kill him. That was not true. David was not out to kill Saul. Saul was out to kill David. That was a slander. He was putting David down to exalt himself. Swellings, a puffing up of soul, loftiness of pride. And then there's tumults. Those are disturbances, disorders, and confusion which all this results from these kinds of attitudes. You might sum it up by this, saying this. A person who is discontented, ungrateful, a lot of this stems from being ungrateful, Envious of the praise or attention of the gives, gives over to boiling anger and wrath and outbursts to tear down, 
by discrediting or blaming others and to justify their feelings of resentment, which cause a tumult, that is a disturbance and confusion, where everyone is on edge about this outburst and confusion, thinking, what is this? What is wrong with him? You know, people could have been saying, should have been saying, and asking the question, what is wrong with Saul? What's wrong with him? Does he have his head screwed on backwards? One commentator said this, quote, some people go around with their carnality growing out of their elbow, unquote. You, know, you think about it, if you're just growing out of your elbow, you don't see it. But everybody else sure does. You know, it was, it's obvious to others. But you can't seem to see it yourself. This was the kind of thing that was going on at Corinth. This carnal disposition that was characteristic in the church at Corinth. And we know the cause of all these things. The Proverbs is very clear about that. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. But with a well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 22.10 says this, Cast out the scorner. And in that context, one of the definitions of scorner is inflated. No, it's a person with an inflated ego. He's arrogant. He's inflated. He thinks more highly of himself more than he ought to think. So cast out the inflated one, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. These are the fruits of pride, discontentment, lack of gratitude for the grace and goodness of God. And Paul goes on here, and I believe in context, he calls these things uncleanness, fornication, and lasciviousness. I might say, I'll preach to those who are referring to different things. Well, the word uncleanness here means impure motives. Verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall be well. Many which have already sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lasciviousness, which they have committed. So impure motives, fornications, the word sometimes is used as a metaphor for following other gods. You know, Israel committed fornication or adultery against God. They have forsaken God and worshipped false gods. And God said, you're an adulterer. You committed spiritual adultery. And, and you know, in a, in a situation like this, a person who is characteristic of these things has, has committed a, a fornication against God. They set up an idol, and the idol is themselves. Themselves has become their God. Saul became his own God justify his actions that were against God. And what follows is lasciviousness, which really means unbridled passions. So this is the characteristic or the disposition of a carnal person. Paul says, I fear that I should not find you such as I would. In other words, Corinthians this should not be characteristics of a child of God. You're sinning against God and you're sinning against one another by these things. 
these sins of your attitudes, your disposition. Then notice, secondly, the disposition of the spiritual is exemplified here for us. You know, isn't it good that God not only tells us what's not right, he tells us what is right. Therefore, we can, we can work in our lives, bring ourselves into submission to this Holy Spirit to, to, to mold ourselves and to, to bring ourselves into obedience to his word and that which pleases him. So he, he gives us an exemplif- uh, exemplifies here for us the disposition of the spiritual. And, and first of all, it's by a love that gives. And I have three subpoints under that point. Uh, verses 14 through 18 tells us three things. First of all, a love that gives is not burdensome. Verse 13, 14. For what is it wherein you were in fear to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, a third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. The word burdensome here means to weigh heavily upon, to be chargeable to, to, you know, to rely on. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so he says here, you know, we were not burdensome to you. Uh, and, and, and this is an, ex- a, 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 an attitude of a spiritual person. We are not to be burdensome to other people. We're not to weigh heavily upon them or depend upon them for our needs and our wants. You don't want to be chargeable to them, rely on them for credit uh, for things that we desire or for praise of men or our needs. He says in verse 14, I seek not yours. I'm not seeking the things of you. I am seeking you. Now, he didn't seek them for himself. He was seeking that they have a right relationship with the Lord. Of course, we'll see that a little bit further on. He said, I don't seek yours. I'm not here to take of what you have. To enrich myself by you, that's not my purpose. That is not love. It's not love. I'm not here to profit from you. What profit is there if, if I, if I, what profit is there for me if I, if, if, if you, if I get of yours? And he gives an example here of this, of where he says, the parents, in verse 14, the last half of that verse, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And so he illustrates that with a, with a family setting that, you know, parents don't expect children to pay for their things. Yeah, when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't expect my children to buy my shoes. I didn't expect them to put the food on the table. I didn't expect them to buy my clothes. Or even to buy their own clothes. Now when they got to a certain age and got jobs, they started buying some of their own things. Which was fine. And there was a certain time where, you know, we transitioned into that and they started buying their own things. 
when they had jobs and could provide, learn to provide for themselves, they transitioned to that. But when they're, when they're at home and, and they're younger, you know, we provided for them. They did not provide for us. You know, First Corinthians thirteen five says, "Love seeketh not her own." That was I wasn't burdened. I wasn't seeking of yours, but I was seeking your heart to have a relationship and fellowship with God. See, love that gives is not burdensome. It's not burdensome. Secondly, a love that gives is willing. Are you ready for this? Willing to be spent. Now that's not popular today. Verse 15 says this, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The word spend means to incur expense. To be spent goes further than that. It means to consume one's strength and life and laboring for others. You know, I, I don't go to my children, even those that have jobs and are making money, I don't go to them and say, hey, I need a new truck. Or I need some groceries. I didn't go to them and demand love and respect. That's something that can't be bought or forced or coerced. But it's the fruit of our own teaching. It's the fruit of time invested, life given, not seeking gain or recognition. A love that is willing to be spent just keeps on giving, keeps on ministering. Whether anyone notices or whether anyone applauds, whether anyone gives praise, or it's not dependent upon its reward. Paul said, I'm willing to be spent for you. I'll just keep giving for you. Whether you love me or whether you don't. You know, it speaks of never-ending part of giving oneself. Of course, the source of which is the Spirit of God in the heart. Sort of like an artesian well. You know, we have everlasting life. It's sort of like an artesian well. It never ends. Did you ever see an artesian well? I remember years ago I was working for an elderly lady who came to Father-in-law's church for a while. And right outside her back porch, there's just water bubbling out of the ground. Clear, crystal water. Very cold. I said, you got a spring there. She said, no, that's not a spring. That's an artesian well. Now, don't ask me what the difference is. I'm not sure. But they say there's a difference. And it, it never quits running. It just bubbles out of the ground. And it was very good water. But it's just, it just bubbles over, and that's the picture here. It speaks of a, 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 the, the love of one who continues to give, just continues to give. 
See, too often we're so busy in our modern day, and even as they were in Corinth, that was a busy city, we're so busy promoting ourselves, investing in our own things, that we forsake the opportunities that God gives us to minister to other people, the opportunities that God gives to invest in our children, and, and to talk to them and help them and give them direction for life. We're so busy promoting ourselves. And they're when they all are, are all grown up, or we lost the opportunity, we wonder what went wrong. What went wrong? You, know, if you're going to minister to somebody, you're going to minister to somebody. You have to love them, and love is reciprocated. If you want people to love you, you know what you have to do. You have to love. Because love is reciprocated. It's reciprocated. Respect is reciprocated. If you want respect, you have to demonstrate respect. You know, one of the things you have to have to do in ministry is you have to respect. I didn't say agree. But respect or allow other people to have different opinions than yours. By the way, if you don't, if you don't allow people to have different opinions than yours, they're not going to be honest with you. And you're, never, you're not going to be able to help them. If they aren't able to share their, what they think from their worldview is right, so that you can help them, if you want them to be able to share that, you have to give them opportunity to share differing beliefs or differing opinions. So that you can answer them from the word of God. That's showing respect. You know, if you just if you go up to a Catholic and you say, well, you're just a bunch of heathens. You just worship Mary. You just start saying all the things that are wrong with Catholicism and don't allow them to share what they believe and why they believe it. And then say, well, the word of God says this. This is why I believe this. You know, love, again, is reciprocating. And so we have to have a love that is willing to be spent. And we see this in the example of Christ. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. He spent Himself, His own life for us. He demonstrated that love that would go to all the ends of the earth to save our souls. He demonstrated that kind of love to us. For God to love the world. Let me ask something. Did or does the world love God? But does that change the fact that God loves the world? First John 1 says, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. Did He quit loving His own? So there's a love here that is not burdensome, a love that is willing to be spent you know, if we're gonna again, if we're gonna be in ministry, whether it's in home, whether it's in relationships, we have to be willing to to spend, to spend, and be spent, whether we get anything in return or not. I remember Brother Forney saying you know, he went to the Arctic, and the Lord used him to establish a church there, 
but it cost him 21 years of his life and his wife's health. What would he say? I spent myself. One church. But you know, from, from that, there are, I don't know how many now, missionaries in the Arctic regions that are the fruit of Brother Gary Forney going to the Nubik Northwest Territories, spending 20, 21 years. You see, he was willing to be spent and to spend. There's a third thing here that spiritual, that is evidence of spiritual disposition or love that gives, and that is a willing to accept responsibility for wrongs. Notice verse 13. I thought that was, this was interesting. For what is it wherein we were, ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Notice the next four words. Forgive me this wrong. You know, though Paul was an apostle, and I believe a spiritual man, he was a man. And he admitted it. Fact in verse 11, he ends verse 11 by saying, though I be nothing. He reminded the church at Corinth that I am a man. But because he was a spiritual man, he took and accepted responsibility for his wrongs. You know, he did not take or request or receive financial support from the church at Corinth, though they were better off financially than many churches of the Macedonian region. Now, he should have expected it. Why? Because it was right. It would have been right for them to support him financially. And he admitted in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, that there were times he had needs. Notice 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, he says, And when I was present with you and wanted, in other words, I had a need, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. Now, some people go back and forth, you know, you, it depends on who you read and what commentators say, whether this is right or to Paul to do this or not. And I say, it's no, he was wrong in not doing this, not expecting it, because this is what the Bible teaches. They need to support him. It's right for them to support him. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 9.14, they, they that preach gospel must live of the gospel. And he gave a whole illustration how that in the Old Testament, you don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. He has a right to help himself to the corn. To sustain his strength for the work that he is doing. And the illustration is a preacher, a missionary, has the right to receive support from those they minister to so he to sustain him in the work that the Lord has called him. So he had every, he had every right. It's the church of Corinth 
would have been squabbling among themselves and had these bad attitudes, they would have known from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know what? They should be squirting off. But I do believe it's also obvious whether it was pride in his part that he didn't thoroughly teach them and challenge them. You're sinning against the Lord in not supporting me. And so he admits. You know, in a sense, he had spoiled them. He had spoiled them. I think like David, who said to Abathur, I have occasioned the death of all thy father's house. I think what Paul's saying here is, look, I have occasioned this wrong you are doing by not requesting, not teaching you that you should be supporting me financially for the work, for the time I've invested. So he was willing to accept the responsibility for the wrongs he had done to them. But notice also, not only is this position of the spiritual exemplified by a love that gives, it's also by a love that edifies. Notice verses 18 and 19. I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. Before, But we do all things dearly beloved, and here's it is, for your edify. So Paul says, a love that exemplifies spirituality is one that edifies a disposition or an attitude. It edifies. The word edify means to build up or building up. In the New Testament, it's used as an act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. So, he says, I'm here to edify. I'm here to promote your growth. Your growth. Your understanding of God. Your your, your piety, that, that really means a God-like likeness so that you can learn to become Christ-like in your, in your, uh, your life, in your walk with, with the Lord, and, and for your own holiness, pleasing God in, in body and in spirit, and which will bring about joy in your life, the joy of the Lord. He said, that's what I'm working to promote in you. That's my purpose. See, true ministry, whether it's in a church or at home, at workplace, in relationships, is for the advancement and the enriching of other people's lives. That's what it's about. As Brother Oil said in Sunday school, it's not for the preservation of self, but the promotion of others. By the way, you don't, and we ought not do it for this reason, but you don't have to give God. If you give yourself in life for ministry, 
there will be. There will be those who will turn against you. And it feels like sometimes you maybe, you know, invested in, and didn't see anything of it. But, but the reward is, the reward is that you have done what pleases the Lord. There is, there is a reward for it. But true ministry, whether, you know, it's, for, it's about promotion of others. Promotion of others. From the, from the church to the home to the, to the workplace, whatever it is. We ought to invest in others for their advancement. You know, we, we, as, as parents, we ought to invest in our children. Uh, you know, one of the, our philosophy of education was to, that they would have the education sufficient that they could pursue any career path they chose. That required an investment. You know, all my children have a better education than I have. But I'm not jealous about it. I'm very happy for it. And we should never say, Oh, we sacrificed to give you a good education, and you better make good use of it. Do you realize what it cost me? You realize how hard it was for us? We toiled sweat to give you this, and you don't appreciate it. We put them on a guilt trip. What are we looking for? The praise of men? Or the praise of God? See, we ought to invest in others because it is right. Not because we're looking for praise. And if you invest in others seeking no praise for your own, God, you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what, you know what he'll do? He will lift you up. He'll lift you up. You see, the, the believers at Corinth, some were seeking to promote themselves. By putting others down. Paul says, no, your, your disposition is carnal and you need to demonstrate a love that gives, a love that edifies. That should be your disposition. This is the love of Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, yet be loved one for another. And greater love hath no man than this, than they lay down his life for his friends. You see, we are known by our disposition. Is it one of love, giving, serving, being spent, or is it self-serving, seeking self-praise, seeking self-exaltation? You know, those that lovingly give are always happy, content, and thankful for what they have. So I found. But those who seek praise and exaltation are never satisfied. You know, does your disposition, the attitudes that are characteristic of your life exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you submitted to this leadership in your life? 
Are you serving or wanting to be served? Matthew 20, 28 says, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You know, he humbled himself, even unto death. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You know, Paul said, you know, I am an apostle, but I'm nothing. You know what? You know what? You know what? Modern street language that would be. Just so you know, I am an apostle. So what? So what? You could have said, "Big deal." Still a man. He's still commanded to serve. Still commanded to give, to love, to edify, to spend and be spent. You want to know the joy of the Lord in your life? Be willing to spend and be spent for the Lord. You know, Galatians 6, verse 8 and 9 says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. All Paul spent himself for those Gentiles at Corinth. And people are still talking about him today. Nobody talks about Demas except in a negative light. See, Demas wanted to exalt himself. Paul said, I'll be spent. I'll willingly spend and be spent. Which one will you be?